Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Welcome back to the Lights Out Podcast. My name is Mike Davis, along with me, my co-host, Miguel Iterate. And we've got a special guest. And we also got somebody sitting in, both very important people. Our special guest, Pedro Sauer, world-renowned black belt, uh, somebody whose reputation carries himself internationally. Pedro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, amigo. It's a pleasure to be here, amigo. With him, three-time national wrestling champion, undefeated senior season, 1988 gold medal winner uh, for the Olympics, um, one of our favorites, Mark Schultz. Mark, always a pleasure, sir. Thanks, Mike. It's an honor to be here with you and Miguel again. Yeah, and this is, uh, I think you get one more and you tie us for most appearances. We obviously love having you on and I'm always texting you as well. So um, greatly, greatly appreciated. But let's start with Pedro. Pedro. It's a rare treat, Mike. I'm just saying it's a rare treat. I don't think um, ever there's been a podcast with this high level of guys from such different variety you know what i mean and uh we're all here for the same reasons just to document and let people know so but i think it's really a historic podcast a jujitsu black belt of this caliber yeah no, he's not yeah. even a black a jujitsu black belt maker <laughs> you know yes. what i mean and 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 a olympic gold medalist this has never been done before mike so um Definitely, uh, you got your work cut out for you, buddy. <laughs> I think we start in the beginning. Um, Pedro, in 1985, you got your black belt under both Hickson and Helio. How do you meet them? How, how does your meeting the Gracie family come together? Well, I met, I met first, uh, the first one that I met was, uh, was Crawling Gracie, was Hickson's cousin. Uh, Crawling was Elio Gracie's. Uh, nephew, Carlos Grace's son, and we went to school together as young kids uh, in, in Flamengo, where I grew up in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, that's the first time I ever got introduced to a Gracie. And uh, after that, I got in a little scuffling with him uh, one time in a recess time, and he just he just put me down and hold me down, and I could not escape. He just hold me there. So he actually didn't. He should be kicking my butt, but he actually didn't do it. He just hold me down. So. That's the first introduction that I have with Jiu-Jitsu. And um, that's the first time. And after that, I, I moved my parents. They used to live in a, in a Flamengo. There was a very um, uh, very close where Grand Marcelo Grace has the first school. So Grand Marcelo first school in 1925, it was in Flamengo. And that's where I grew up. My dad was grew up there. My whole family was from there. In Hickson move in Grandmaster Elliot, they used to live just across the street, like a very close. And I remember seeing Hickson walking by with some dogs, just driving, just, just walking by, just, you know, young guy, just drive with those, walk with the dogs. And at one time he kind of looked at me and I look at him and kind of say, Hey man, what you doing? What, what are you looking at? And he came to, 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 uh, I always have like a group of people that used to hang out together. And he arrived there. Hey, how you guys doing? I said, man, we always hang out here. I see that you're passing by here every day. Just keep looking. Uh, man, come here. Just keep, hang out with us. 
that's the beginning how I met. I didn't know nothing about Jiu-Jitsu. I didn't know nothing about the Gracie family. Nothing. And uh, Hickson started asking me to go to the academy, to take go there with him. And uh, I went there for the first time to see uh, what Jiu-Jitsu was about. And Hickson was a young kid. He was wearing a green belt. He was uh, still have the kid's belt. And I saw him train against a guy with a purple belt. And I was got terrified. I couldn't believe what those guys are doing. They're doing flips on the air. The, the school was very tiny. Hickson used to climb up to the wall like this and do flips around. And the guy had a Hickson the head headlock. I thought it was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. So I said, this is not for me. I went back home and took me more than a year to go back to the school. <laughs> hey, can I ask a question? Yep. How old were you when you were introduced to jujitsu and this all happened with Hickson and stuff? Man, the first time I saw jujitsu, I probably be around anyway, 13, 14 years old. I was in the there, and after that, when I was 15, I got my own car, and uh, I started driving in Rio de Janeiro. So Hickson asked me a ride to 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 go to the academy. You know, he was there hanging out. He was walking, and he saw me there with car. Hey, man, give me a ride, please, to downtown. So I told, him, I'm gonna give a ride, but I'm not gonna train. I don't like grab guys. I like to grab girls. <laughs> I, I think both you guys have heard that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought I don't like this. So I, I and Hickson just smiled. Hey, come on, come on. So I went to the academy, and it was a parking stall, vacant, right in front of the academy. Hickson like take take the spot, take the spot. Say Hickson, I'm gonna go there watch, but I'm not gonna do it. So I went up there, and Grandmaster Elio, he was there at the reception, and uh, he shook my hand and it has like a big hand. I remember him kind of gripped my hand. And uh, he said, well, Hickson, that's your friend that you've been telling about? Say, yeah. and, and I said, listen, I just came here just to watch. And Grandmaster Ellis said, no, 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 no. Nobody's going to watch here, my friend. Come here, my son. And he started grabbing me and took me to the academy, like to the ring. And uh, I was a boxer. I used to box when I was a kid. Uh, I started boxing with uh, uh, Marco, who was the same generation as Marco was. We, we actually boxed in the same gym. Uh, called Santa Rosa. And that was a rough, 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 really tough gym. So I I, I, I used to box maybe a, talk, maybe a year, year and a half in the gym. And uh, so Grandmaster Elio made me put boxing gloves, 16 ounces boxing gloves, and make me spar with some kids. And those kids, they didn't want to spar with me. They just want to tackle me and put me in the ground. And they done over and over and over and over until I gas out completely. And that's based on my introduction for jiu-jitsu. Uh, I almost have a heart attack. I spent you had to go back. Well, you had, I had to go, go back. back. <laughs> I had to go back. <laughs> so, Mark, your experience with, with Hickson as well is, I mean, somewhat different, but also the same. He's somebody that has connected both of you guys. Is that also how you met Pedro Sauer? Oh, well, uh, I told you the story on a previous podcast of how I met Pedro. I got a call from uh, one of Pedro's students, a blue belt, and he asked me if I wanted to. He said, the best uh, jujitsu fighter in the world's in town. Do you want to fight him? And I asked him what the rules were, and he's trying to intimidate me. And he said, there are no rules. And I was like, really? No rules? And I was thinking, what are we going to do? Commit a homicide? So I said, okay, I'll do it. 
so a week from Thursday or whatever, I had to go to the NCAAs. I couldn't even think about anything I was doing that week because I was constantly thinking. I didn't know who this guy was. I didn't know what was going to happen. And it really pisses me off that this guy tried to intimidate me by telling me there were no rules because it was very difficult for me and Hickson to overcome that uh, obstacle of all antagonism and opposition, like we we're enemies all of a sudden. And, but we ended up being great friends. Did he connect you with Pedro? Uh, actually, uh, no, I, I found out through a third party. I don't know who told me, but I didn't even know Pedro was in the wrestling room at the time that I, I went with Hickson. And then I found out later that, uh, He's got a student in Provo, Utah, of all places. I mean, what are the chances? And I found out it's Pedro Sauer. So I call up Pedro someday and I said, hey, can I be your student? And he was really cool. He's like, come on down, my friend. No problem. And I became a student for three years until the UFC. So, Pedro, did you witness the Hickson-Mark Schultz grappling match? Oh, yeah. No way. Yes, yeah, I was. We, we actually, uh, I was having my, my camera, uh, like a family, my family recording. Uh, I have all my family footage, and uh, we record that for, like, I want to say maybe half an hour, maybe 40 minutes, some, the time we are. And Hickson took the, the, the tape with him, and I never seen the tape again, and he just told me he never seen either. <laughs> but he What had... was it like watching the two of them? You've got, how I try to explain it to people. Jiu-jitsu people and wrestlers are like cousins. You've got two people that took on sports and dedicated their lives to something that they never thought they would ever make any money on, and they couldn't quit. They had to keep going. So it's just cousins that like to fight each other, which that's, that's an honor. That Could true. you bring us through what took place against Mark and Hickson? Well, what I remember, I remember sitting down there, and Hickson started doing some moves first with a, a – O'Brien, it was the name of the coach. Uh, oh, Alan Albright. Alan Albright. Yep, very nice guy, kind of you know, kind of uh, strong. And I remember Mark. Oh, he pushed the door. Boom, the door just smacked it, and Mark walking in, and uh, he looked around, and uh, pretty soon Mark kind of he went for uh, to to get changed, came back, and Hickson uh, he was doing some moves with uh, Albright first. And I was just sitting down there. I think Steve Bishop had the camera. And there was another tall guy that I, I trained with him. You, you trained, Mark trained with Hickson, and I rode with this other tall guy. I, I don't know oh, his yeah. name. Corey Veach. Yeah. Tough, tough dude. Unbelievable. And I remember that after the train, Hickson asked me if I submit Corey Veach. And I honestly, I did not submit him. I, I put him in several moves. But he just he just wired himself out. He didn't want to tap at all. So I told no, I didn't tap him. And uh, that's when we, 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 we pretty much uh, went back home. But um, we got all this recorded. But Hickson never, ever watched the video. I find out this last year. So Mark said that he had Hickson in a cradle for about 30 minutes. 20. And how many? 20. Of oh, 20 minutes. So your natural response is, Mark, were you talking stuff to Hickson? Were you? And he's like, no. Well, were you saying anything? No, I never said a word. 
I, I can't imagine holding somebody in a cradle for 20 minutes and just not saying any word other than just, you know, sheer just brutality. That's, that's, that's pretty scary, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember one time that was Mark <laughs> was hard. And some Mark was holding Hickson's arm, was have a, have a like a he was safe. Mark was very safe at Hickson's guard and hold there. And at one time, Mark said, So, what we're gonna do? We're gonna continue here. And Hickson said, Yeah, yeah, let's continue uh, from the same position because I know they they've been there in the same position for quite a long time. Mark was a uh, even though he was not a submission guy, but he was just a phenomenal wrestler, just and, and just a, a, a you know. Mark's Mark's Mark, man. He's a he's a beast. He's mean. He's mean. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. was quick. Well, yeah, let's I, talk about your black belt. You got it under Helio and Hickson. Um, how how long were you training prior to you getting it? My black belt? Yes. Oh, it took me about 10 years. Yeah, and uh, because I was a very small guy, I came from a, my dad was very skinny, very small. I, I'm the smallest of whole, my, my whole family. I have a brother who's at 280 pounds. I have another brother who's 240. I have another one who's 220, and I'm 150. So I've been the smallest one. But as a kid, I was a little bit wild <laughs> as a kid. So my mom was very, very scary when she found out that I was doing jiu-jitsu. She, she didn't know. She heard about the Gracie reputation. Uh, you know. So my mom was very scared. So she went and talked to Grandmaster Helio. And uh, she said, you know, I'm very scared about Pedro doing jiu-jitsu. He's, he's, he's pretty wild. He's been kicked out from many schools. And uh, he's crazy. He's pretty much crazy. And Helio said, Miriam, Pedro doesn't look like that crazy to me. If I give him a $100 bill, he'll put it in his pocket or he will eat it? That's a question that Helio did ask my mom. And my mom said, well, he's going to put it in his pocket so I can still fix him. If you, if you eat it, he's going to be a lost case. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Pedro, tell them about that time that uh, Elio held you down and you were, you know, you were, everybody was telling him how crazy you were. And he held you down and looked at you and you tell the rest of the story. Yep. Man, Elio was pretty much, uh, after he talked to my mom, so I was, I was a little kid, I was small, and Elio used to partner, he used to be partner, many times with partner, because I was a good, uh, good partner for, for Elio. I never kind of, I never been a resistant kind of guy. So I was trained with Elio, and he passed my guard. Elio was in his 60s. I was probably in my team, 15, somewhere on that. He passed my guard, crossbody, mount, when he was in the mount position, I tried to escape, and I mean left and right, elbow escape, left and right, upa, left. I tried to escape for like 10, 15, 12 minutes, somewhere around the, in that range, and I completely gas out. And I could not escape the old man. The old man still hold me down there. And he looked at me right in my eyes and said, hey, do you think you're crazy? You know, son of a, he called me a bad name, like a son of, you know, can we swear here or just keep a good, uh, we don't swear, right? No, no, you can't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we're we're good. Yeah, you call me some bad names. So you know, basically, like you you you, you think you're crazy, you know, motherfucker. You don't trick me. You can trick your parents, but you don't trick me, you son of a bitch. Just like that. And I was so intimidated, and I was so exhausted. I was so completely drained out that that moment on, a little a little light came to my mind. It's like, oh, 
my goodness, that's the first person in my life that I'm not able to trick. Because basically, I used to trick everybody. Mm-hmm. I just pretend I was crazy. Yeah, but, but Mr. Sauer, that type of behavior and attitude as a child means you're probably a pretty good teacher because you can, if you can trick, that means you can, you know, kind of create a path to get somebody to a finish line. It's just taking them on the right path rather than the wrong one. That's very well, important. Yep. Uh, anybody who came around me and I see the guy's kind of a little bit different or needs a little bit extra attention, or even if the guy who has a, some special, uh, needs some special attention, I can relate to those people very easily, very simple, you know, and I can tell without a doubt, my friend, don't worry, we're going to be fixed. We're going to fix this. <laughs> Whether you like to or not, it will be fixed. We're going to um, work this out. You know, what can are you the, tell can us if about, I can jump in, go ahead, I, yeah. maybe we're going to ask the same question, but uh, Hickson had an older brother that kind of goes in the legend category um, and that holds Gracie. Yep, and uh, you know he's somebody that we know very little about, obviously. And you may have been there, you know, training him. He's actually what we've heard is that he was, you know, like a Hickson level, like a like a respected guy. And then he passed away in a paragliding accident. So, well, what what light can you shed on us? What can you tell us about it? He also seems to be one of the first guys that. got the lifestyle too, like the surfing and, and, and paragliding and things like that. So talk about him. Yeah, Halls, what happened for Halls, uh, the first time in my life that I have a competition that I, that I compete was against Halls student at Halls Academy. And again, I got, I got hammered. But um, uh, Halls, he was a, a incredible guy. His mom, she was a steward. And she was work for, I'm not sure with, 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 with a company, but she used to live in America. She was an American lady, Hall's mom. So what happened with Hall's that he was able to to travel to the United States quite often. And he ended up learning English because he used to come to to America. And he learned wrestling. And Hall's was the first one to introduce uh, wrestling in Jiu-Jitsu. Wow. Wow. You know the um, Americana armbar? Of course. That was in honor of a Bob Anderson. There was a wrestler that went to Brazil that, that they are doing this American armbar. And he actually, the name Americana came after this guy, Bob Anderson. Big wrestler guy. He spent 15 days in Brazil and he did not spar with, with Halls during 15 days. His last day, apparently they have a session and they both spar. And he fell in love with jiu-jitsu. Bob Anderson fell in love. Wow. Wow. He became the was... national grappling coach for the USA Wrestling. Bob Anderson? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Legend, another legendary guy. What was Elio like as a mentor? He was incredible. He was incredible. A very smart guy. An incredible psychologist. Uh, he was uh, very correct by the book, and I mean a hundred percent by the book. And he used to judge people by everything. Every time he looked at you, he was judging you somehow. Your character, your integrity, your hygiene. If you cut your nails, if you wash your geese, if you brush your hair, if you cut your, uh, if you shave, 
He used to have all kinds of stuff, and he used to grade people. Well, when you've got a family like the Gracies, obviously plentiful, and all of them have the ability to be a little bit crazy, you kind of have to have a military-type hand at home. Otherwise, you're, your entire fa- you're visiting your family in jail. I mean, they're, they're crazy guys. Yeah, Ellie was the most, Ellie was the enforcer. Ellie was a general. I honestly, I never in my life, I came across of an individual with such a strong will and such a macho, like a macho mentality. If you remember, do you remember when Hugo Duarte and Hickson Grace got in a fight? Sure. Of course, so, the beach fight. Yes. Yeah, the beach fight. So they fought in the beach first. And after that, Hugo Duarte, Udo Duarte asked for a rematch. For I want a rematch. I want to try again. So they set up a rematch at the school, Grace Umaita, in Rio de Janeiro. Well, the day that they set up the rematch, the Grace Academy we had over 150 people there. It was packed. But nobody showed up in that day. Well, they come back next day. During the day, when nobody was there, the academy was actually closed. Grandmaster Elliot was open the school. And 50 people shows up with guns, knife, clubs. I'm talking about 50 psychopaths show up in the school. And Elio goes, say, hold on, guys. You're not going to waste your trip. Hold on. And call Hickson. And Hickson got in a motorcycle, little 50cc motorcycle on the back. And he was uh, on the bike wrapping his hands to arrive in the Grace Academy. And came uh, him and another guy. His name was Samba Zucchin. That's the guy who was driving the motorcycle. They arrive, the, the, everybody open up, and they start fighting. Not even on the mats. They fought downstairs on the concrete, on the, as- uh, on the, on the asphalt. They're supposed to be going to the mat area, but there were so many people. And the moment that Hickson walked in, the fight broke down, like, majorly. So they start fighting. Hickson took the guy down, got in the mount position, holding the, in the, in the, in the, kind of the gift wrapped kind of move, and just punched this guy to to the dead, like I punch him. And the guy, I give up, I give up. And Hickson kept punching him. I give up. Hickson kept punching him until he repeat how many times, who is the champion? Who is the champion? Who is oh. the-? And after Hugo Duarte repeat like maybe 25 times, Hickson let it go. The moment Hickson let it go, Hoyler Gracie was just walking. A little kid, just 17, 18 years old, just walking, Hoyler. And Grandmaster Elio stepped in the middle of those 50 psychopaths. Who else wants to fight here against my young little son here? And Hoyer's like, what? Me? <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> and that's how Eugenio Tadeu and Hoyler end up fighting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, wild. Now, uh, now you, you, you mentioned, but Hoyler at 17, 18 was already a black belt, no? Yeah. Yep. So he bought was, his, his he bought his kids up like like uh, in military fashion. They were, they were all exposed. <laughs> all yeah. of them since young age. He make everybody fight. People used to fight even for everything. Every time you see two guys in the TV fights, they bet, they bet. Every time this, Elio create a very good atmosphere for us to experience jujitsu, experience fighting, and eventually experience no holds barred. You were also in the room with Carlson Gracie Sr. I remember, yeah. How was he growing up? Carlson Gracie, uh, the, the old, the yes. senior. 
Carson Grace, uh, yeah, his name is Carlos. Carlos Grace is seen. You talk about Carlos or Carson? Carlson. Oh, Carson. Carson was Carlos' son. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And he was he was the first guy who broke away from Elio. So Grandmaster Elio had his school in downtown Rio de Janeiro. And they decided to move to Copacabana to open the first group class for more uh that was more affordable for people. That's what Carson did. And Carson was a was another enforcer. Carson was a good guy. He was a tough dude. He was, oh my gosh, Carson was tough, tough, tough guy, man. He used to have fingers like bananas. His fingers <laughs> were just like bananas. And he would grab you, and he was rough. Carson was a pretty rough. So, well, just see what, what kind of Carson Grace team, what they done. It. Vito Belfort, Maury Bitté. Those guys are pretty tough guys, you know. Sure. Here in Chicago, yeah. um, his reputation while he was here was uh, he was everybody looked up to him, whether you were on his team or off of his team. And it made you research him. And he's a person that was literally taking people from the street and changing their lives. Yeah. Um, there, the people like like Carlson, the uh, there should be statues made of them for the impact that they've made in society. He has one. Oh, does he? Believe it or not, Rio de Janeiro has a statue of Carson Gracie right off Copacabana Subway. The oh, station wow. of the subway in Copacabana has a statue with his hands like this. And the way how you shook hands, you used to shake hands with the fingers apart. Yeah, with the fingers apart. Yeah. Apart. That's how you used to shake hands. So they have a, a statue of Carson Grace with the fingers like that. And everybody can go there and shake his hands. Oh, that's awesome. It's that's pretty so cool. cool. That's yeah. fantastic. So your first job teaching was at the Academy, the Corpo Quarto. You brought it up yes. already. And one of your you taught with Alvaro Pajeto. Yes, sir. How was he as somebody that was on the, on the mat with you? Grandmaster Alvaro Pajeto was an incredible technician. He was very technical. He was a younger brother of João Alberto, Alberto Barreto, that was the number one student from the Grace Academy of No Host Bar. They used to have a show called Heróis do Ringue, the heroes of the cage. And every Monday, they used to have those fights. And uh, João Alberto Barreto was undefeated fight. Unbelievable. Ah. Big guy, like a, like a bigger guy, bigger jaw. But Alvaro Barreto was a gentleman. Very nice. And um, what happened with Alvaro Barreto, when Hickson moved to America in ni- late 1988, I, probably, I was in an academy and I lost, my, I lost a body. I was like, man, I see this dude every day for 15 years. Now this guy is in a, you know, in America. So his young son, Hoyler, took over the school. And Hoyler was a buddy, uh, was a friend of mine. Of course, I want to continue there and, and continue to support the academy. But what happened is uh, I was asked to go teach class in another school. And I didn't, I didn't feel good to do that until I went to talk to Grandmaster Elio. So I told Grandmaster Elio, say, Professor, I want to, you know, I got invited to... Alvaro Barreto to teach class there, but I came here to ask permission before I go there. And Elio looked at me, Pedrinho, if you want to go, if you want to be a teacher of Jiu-Jitsu, go to Heilson Gracie. 
go there, you know, because I believe he, he, he might be needing some, some help over there. So I went to talk to Heilson Gracie at, uh, in Gavia. That's what his school, Shopping da Gavia. That's the name of the place where he used to teach. So Heilson was very nice, treated me very, very nicely. We had a conversation. And, um, you know, he knew me from, from Gromest Elio, that I was one of the students there. So he kind of knew me competition, that I compete my, I compete in every belt. I never been a competition winner's expert, you know, because I, I was troublemaker as a kid. So I never got in shape. I never, I just kind of uh, arrive in the competition as it is. Never, never prepare myself. So when he offered me a job, he also offered me a job. I went back to Alvarez to, to say thank you to him. And say, listen, hey, Yusuf offered me a job. He offered me to pay this, this, and this. And Alvaro looked at me and said, Pedrino, I'll pay you double what, what, what you have now. And basically, I went back to Grandmaster Helio. I told Grandmaster Helio, thank you very much for the... I went back to hey, Yusuf too. Thank you for the offer. But I'm going to stay uh, a Corpo Quattro. Because over there, I had a friend. Uh, his name was Marcelo Bering. He was my training partner for like... Um, for 10 years, I was Marcelo Bering training partner. And Marcel used to train at Copa Quattro too. So I chose to go there. And that's what I, I, I was there for about uh, one year. Just one year. And after one year, they, we have like a state championship in, in Rio de Janeiro. And Copa Quattro won first place. And the second place was the Grace Academy. With uh, the Copa Quattro has 62 points. The Grace Academy has a 15 for, for the, for, as a second place. We cleaned up the whole entire tournament. It was in Niterói. So at the moment on, Grandmaster Elio and Hickson, they start talking to the phone, and Hickson's right in America. And the conversation was, we need a small body. We need a small person here because that's the way to show the Americans here how you just work by, by having a skinny body. So my name shows up as a, hey, Pedrinho, you want to come to America? So Grandmaster Elio told me, hey, you want to come to the United States? I said, sure, I'll go to America. And that's how I came. We came to America. Wow. Wow. Let me let me ask you. You mentioned Marcelo Bering. Marcelo Bering, at some point, got to carry the jiu-jitsu flag to Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. and it's from there that he he that comes Fabrizio Verdun got his black belt from Marcelo Bering. Is that? Can you? Fill I think Fabrizio Verdun got Marcelo Bering from uh, got got a, a belt black belt from Silvio Bering, his brother, okay. but okay. Marcelo. He was the first guy who came to Australia. That's okay. that's that's why he kind of uh, the first place he went. Marcelo was a very nice guy, very outspoken, good-looking dude, big smile, friendly, and uh, unfortunately he got in a, in a some wrong crowd, wrong yeah. friendship, and end up uh, his life ended up to be short. And... Yeah, yeah. When, when you were over at Corpo Cuarto, you had Sergio Balao with you as well. Uh, he came after. We came after you. Sergio Bolon's after. He's a lot younger than me. I'm 64, man. I'm the <laughs> oldest one. <laughs> okay. So in 1990, you also quit your job as a stockbroker to move here. Was that a difficult transition for you? Because essentially, it's before the UFC. Jiu-Jitsu is unheard of here in the United States. And you're taking possibly the biggest risk uh, of your life. Yep. I came here without, I have no idea. The only thing that I knew that was Horio is, is in America. He's been in America for a long time. 
Corey was being a movie star. He was doing, he was recording movies in Hollywood. And Hickson, you know, just arrived. So my goal was like, man, I want to be close to Hicks. I want to be close to my friend. And I had this opportunity to come to America. I have no idea. I didn't spoke a word in English. <laughs> no idea. When I arrived in Los Angeles, my first thing that Hickson taught me is like, Pedrinho, he, he called me Dropé. It's my name backwards. Pedro Dropé. So in Flamengo, we have our own dialect. People in mm -hmm. Flamengo, they grow up in Flamengo. They speak the Gualin of Gomenfla. Flamengo, Gomenfla, backwards. So that's how he used to call me. And his name is Hickson Sonkihi. <laughs> so we have our own dialect between us. But uh, yeah, when I arrived to America, I learned those, those few words, do like this, where's the bathroom? I'm hungry. And that's how I started. <laughs> Pretty much like that. Did your family try to talk you out of quitting your job? I mean, you're an absolute professional. And like, like I think there's a lot of concern on the home side. Oh, my God. My family, it was one. My boss, I got two bosses, two guys, twin guys that owns the bank, what I used to, what I used to work. And they look at me and say, Pedro, do you have any idea what you left? We're going to leave behind. Man, you are general. You know, I was going, I was taking care of operation table of uh, auctions future in commodities with with uh, as a broker i used to make money like a i can't believe man and i was like well you know money is not an issue i was not so hard uh, hurt for money i have a beautiful apartment uh in brazil in rio de janeiro the front for jesus christ statue the front for you know big lake where very very expensive and i quit everything and i moved to america to live in a garage <laughs> Did you live with Helio in the garage? Me and Helio in Limão. We, we share the garage. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> now that, that's it's a pretty famous job. garage because, you know, the uh, the rumors are that Hickson himself started training people in, in his garage when he was there. And I'm sure you took part in some of that. I was there. I remember Eric. Yeah. What was it like sharing the man with Eric Paulson at this time? Well, on the beginning, uh, not so many people knew, you know, there was not as much knowledge. So when we arrived here, I, I, I had already 15 years of, uh, you know, grind, grinding, you know, training. And then, so I was kind of in a great master. Elio was a very smart dude. Everybody who trained with Elio, Elio used to create some kind of unpredictable stuff. He used to put us in so much big trouble. He used to pay people out of the streets to hold us in a headlock or crossbody for us to not, not cannot escape. And somebody out of the streets, unpredictable, because he said, hey, if you can't escape from those dudes, you're going to escape from anybody. Because you're already a black belt. You're already escaped from anybody here. Let me see how we deal with somebody who's unpredictable. That's amazing. And that is what makes the difference between all the Brazilians that came to America with a good with good technique over here and all the other guys that arrive in America you know you heard about the guys that changed the belts in the aeroplane you heard about that before I, I have no, would you mind no. explaining it to our audience yes so a lot of people they left Brazil as a blue belt when they, they, the flights go up in the air they turn they, are, they arrive a black belt and, yes, and people, people didn't know who they were they arrive in Miami they arrive in Tennessee Kentucky nobody knew so you put a black belt there well, what happened is they did not expect the visitors of the wrestlers. 
when the wrestlers start visiting the, the academy, those blue belts, it's like, oh my goodness, I gotta go back to Brazil because I'm out. My shoulder, my back, my knee, everything started hurting. And the guy didn't know how to do a good jiu-jitsu. He could not survive against wrestlers. Tell that story of when Hickson was a kid and, and uh, some gang of uh, thugs beat him up and he ran home and you remember that story? I do. I do. It was, well, it was actually Hoyler. Hickson oh. and Hoyler, they were surfing in, in, a, in a beach in Pe uh, Pepino, uh, San Corrado beach and uh they have uh, the local local groupies they are from from the slums and they start to look at the hicks and hoyle and kind of making face and you know they kind of catch waves they kind of go to the same waves and pretty soon hoyle is a little spiky hoyle is hoyle is very spiky mm -hmm. and and hoyle started you not know, getting a fight with one of the guys and hoyle you know put the guy to sleep on the man on, on the beach right away and a lot of guys they went they, they got like 20 guys together and they surround Hicks and Hoyler. And what happened with the time, Hicks and Hoyler start walking on the car to the car, and they got in the car, and everybody chased them. So they got in the car. When Hoyler was in the car, in the passenger seat, they threw a rock, and this rock kind of went and broke the glass and exploded right in Hoyler's face, right here, opened a big gash. So they went back to the academy, and what they did, for one week, they went there with binoculars. One week. They check every single guy, every person, every every guy. The time those guys was to go there. One day when everybody was there, they called the chief of police. His name was Elio Vigio. And they blocked a bus. They told everybody to leave the bus. And Hickson and, and, and Hoyler, they stayed down, down on the sands. And everybody else was sitting down on, on, the, on, the, on the curb facing the beach. And Elio used to go and push one by one to Hickson's hands and Hoyle's hands. And they spanked everyone, put everybody on the bus, and took everyone to jail. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. That's a true story, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's, uh, yeah, that's not healthy. Yeah, that's not Those good. The old-timers Brazilian. Those guys used to be crazy, man. Mark, we have talked – offline obviously about an incident that took place in 1994 pedro had obviously transitioned to the united states and it was uh he, he got into a fight with bodybuilder lance bachelor mark would you tell us how this started and pedro if you could chime in after mark starts it and tell us how it ended so there's this radio station in utah called it's k-bear 101 and they're interviewing pedro he's a brand new gracie jiu-jitsu black belt in utah and it's the 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 big new thing is uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu so they 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 have this black belt in utah so they invite him over and he's talking about you know the 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 what makes gracie jiu-jitsu superior to other martial arts and uh, he gets done with his interview, and the very next guy on the show is Mr. Utah, Lance Bachelor, 250-pound bodybuilder. And they get him on there, and they ask him, how do you think you do against Pedro? Because... Oh, 
think Mark froze. You got a little froze in. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Let's uh he'll he'll join again and we can continue the story, that's for sure. I don't, you know what it is? He he's outside and he moved away from his Wi-Fi. Oh. You can still see him? Oh, we can no, still he see him. I, I, he's not here on my main screen. So anyway, go ahead, Mark. Mark Mike, pick it up or or ask something well, else and we'll continue with Mark. So the guy's on the show, says he can beat you up, Pedro. Had you left the studio by this time or were you, were you still there? No, no, I left the studio. He saw me walking on the studio and he's like, oh, who is this? Oh, this is Pedro Sal. Oh, he's too small. He's too skinny. And that's how they start, you know, poking him. Say, hey, you're, you're a big guy, man. You think you can fight him? And apparently he, he was a wrestler. That's, you know, he was a little kid. He grew up as a wrestler going to, to Orem, Utah, I believe, the area yes. there. And uh, he was in a, in, a, in a school with Mike Adam, that was uh, the owner of the school that we, we, the fight happened. And I believe one of my students was Kazeka. Kazeka was trying to get in a fight with Mike Stedham. Kazeka Muniz. Was, yeah, Kazeka Muniz, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was getting a fight there. And I don't know how that happened. I just know that uh, I got a phone call and uh, I was talking to the guy and I was alive in the radio. So we accepted the challenge. I think it was on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday night, I, I talked on the phone. We fought on a Friday morning. So well, Pedro, Pedro, if you're live on the radio while this is going down, you have no choice. That's your entire business is at risk. Yeah. Yeah. If you say right no, here. you better close your doors. So I, I know. And I say, all right. So that's what's going to happen. So we, we arranged, uh, Hordy and Grace negotiate the contract. There was a lot of talk about his, uh, uh, because he was a professional bodybuilder. He won some, 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 uh, I guess he won some, uh, I'm not sure, show contest. He won some, he has some titles. And Hoyt was very worried about that. And you, on the beginning, it was like, hey, but then you try, you know, if you got a chance, make sure you go for the neck. Be careful by breaking the arms, breaking the, the, because, you know, in America, people love to sue over here. I was like, what do you mean love to sue? What do you mean lawsuit? I don't even know what the lawsuit means. <laughs> We're just going to fight. Yeah, but over here, people sue for everything. So I got in the fight. We had to sign He's a smart. Document. Yeah, Hoyt is a smart guy. Very yeah. smart. So, Basically, I got him in an armbar on the end of the fight, you know. And one thing that not so many people know is that Lance Bachelor came to my school 30 days later. Oh, that's cool. That's very yeah, As a student or for as revenge? A student, he walked in and I pet up with him. And I we we spar and it was no punches, no bites, no elbows, nothing, strikes. So I was able to tap him two dozen times, uh, you know, neck, arm, choke, Kimura, Americana, bar, the whole nine yards, everything, you know, when you spar, submission yeah. happens. So, and he signed up to, to take class from one of my blue belts. His name was Simon Parson. And he, Simon taught uh, Mr. Utah. That's cool. That's cool. Now, uh, these challenge matches used to happen in Brazil all the time. You mentioned Eugenio Tadio and and Hoyler, and then obviously Hickson and Hugo Duarte. Were you at the the famous uh, fights that appeared on the Gracie 
uh, in-action videos, the ones that occurred in the ring and stuff. Well, what, what was that atmosphere like? Because that was officially jujitsu against Luta Livre with Luta Livre. Like you said, these are psychopaths. They, they, and by that you mean, I think, a little bit social economics, a little lower. In the, you know, they're poorer, less education. That's life. And they're rough boys. Yes. They used to be used to be crazy. When Hickson fought Zulu, Hickson fought Zulu twice. The first yeah, yeah. time was in Brazilia. Yeah. And never been this the, I never I never seen the video. I seen just pictures. The referee was one of my my friends, actually was one of my partners. The referee of the fight. We we had a business together. So the second time Hickson fought, Hickson was maybe 19 years old, give and take. Um and my goodness. Hickson was as little compared to Zulu. When I mean little, man, I went to Zulu's locker room. I walked there on, on his locker room. And Zulu was sitting down on a, on a bench. And his hands was almost touched the ground. And he was almost my height. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting down. And I went back to Hickson's locker room. I look at Hickson. Dude, have you seen the size of the dude, man? That dude is huge, Hickson. Don't let the guy touch you, man. I was so worried about that. And Hickson like him. I got it. Don't worry. I got it. Hickson was quiet. It was Hickson was very comfortable over here. He was a little kid, man. Yeah. Wow. Were you the rumor was when Oleg Tektarov came, he wanted to fight in the UFC. He showed up over at the Gracie Academy and he did a challenge match. The rumor is you were the person that did the challenge match with Oleg. Yep. Could you bring us through it? Yep. Well, I was just visiting. I went there to visit Horium and Hoyce. And when I went to the Grace Academy, Horium was there. Hoyce was not there. And I saw this huge Russian guy, neck like, like, like this big, wearing a tie, blue eyes, big guy, walking back and forward, walking back and forward over there. And uh, Horio came to me and said, hey, Pedrinho, got a guy who wants to try to fight Hoyce. You'd like to fight him? I said, sure. Sign me up. Put it on. I was there visiting. No geese. I didn't have nothing. So Horio loaned me his gi, loaned me his belt. And uh, you know Big John McCarthy? Of course. Yeah, Big John was over there. Big John was there visiting the school too. And, and I remember his, his head was there. He used to have a, a glass a little glass. It was a door with just a small glass. And I remember seeing Big John's head there on the glass. It was a many heads. But Big John was always there. It was just me, Oleg, going crazy on the mat. We fought for 40 minutes. Like a, and and uh, basically, I could not submit him. I honestly, I, I have, I had his neck. Perfect choke. I want to say maybe four times. With my hand deep as that as can be, full choke from the front, full choke from the back. I had his arm stretched like a bow a couple of times, but the guy does not quit. Impossible also, to quit. He was also bigger than you, quite quite a bit. Oh, yeah. He he told me when he saw me walking in, he's like, "I have a ten black belt, but don't worry, I'm not gonna hurt you." That's what he told me. And I told him, I only have one, but you can go for him, Hugo. 
Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> man, those were the days, man. Wow. Um, you uh, also trained with Sheik, uh, Tanun, and Kid Peligro yeah. in Abu Dhabi. Sheik Tahanun. Yep. What was your experience like training with him as well as in Abu Dhabi? Well, Sheik Tahanun, on on when he got introduced to Jiu-Jitsu, he created um, it was a website that Sheik Tahanun. Uh, parent Che Kid Peligro, and they decide to come up with a pool to see who is the best jujitsu instructor of the world. And uh, there was about maybe 30 people there. And uh, later was 20, later was 10, later was six. Anyway, I was one of them and ended up winning. And that's how I ended up going to Abu Dhabi. So Tahanun sent, sent me a, a ticket, sent the tickets to Kid Peligro. Me and Kid Peligo, we caught a flight in, in, in San Francisco, and we went to Abu Dhabi. Uh, next day that we arrived there, Sheikh Tahanun came. Uh, we were in ADCC, the Abu Dhabi Combat Club. A whole bunch of people training there, a lot of Bulgar, Bulgarians, a lot of Russians, no Brazilians whatsoever. Uh, and uh, anyway, Tahanun arrived, and he started training with Kid Peligo. I didn't know who Tahanun was. I never met him because they have a lot of disguise. They have a couple other guys that look just like it. So when I saw Kid Peligo was training with Tahanun, and I saw Tahanun, uh, you know, doing moves and, and, and getting on top and, and, and going for submissions, I was like, man, this guy's pretty good. You know, Kid Peligo is a black belt. So, so when it came my, my turn, he looked at me and, and invited me to go to the mat. We went to the mat. It was all leather, leather mats. Beautiful. Just nice. And, uh, uh, we start training, and I thought it was going to be just like a normal role. So I caught him once, I caught him again, I caught him again, I caught. And, and after that, he's like, "Oh, I need to rest, but I want you to train again. I want to, I want to, I want to see you roll with all my structures here in Abu Dhabi." So he put me like a Bulgarian, a Russian guy, and I rolled all those guys, and I, I was able to submit all the guys that I, I was training. Remember back in the early days, it was submit. The only thing that counts is submission. That's the only thing that counts. So I was able to submit all everybody there. And Tahanun told everyone, from now on, as long as Pedro Sal is here, all my kids got to take class from him. And I pretty much I took over from the Abu Dhabi Combat Club for 20 days. Wow. Wow. So Mark's joined us again. Mark, we went through the fight with, with uh, you know, the bodybuilder, uh, Lance Batchelor. You were cornering. Um, Pedro for that bout were there any concerns on your end and what was it like getting asked by Pedro to be there with him well I think Pedro's entire club was there and of course I was part of his club and uh, uh, he was uh, in the back room getting uh, uh, I guess uh kind of a pep talk from this student named uh, Kazeka and he was slapping him and stuff, getting warming him up and stuff. And I was, I was thinking, man, this bodybuilder has no idea what is going to happen. Cause you know, here's this Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and he's, you know, so technical and, and, but Lance was a wrestler too in high school. 
So he didn't, it wasn't like he didn't know anything. He knew takedowns, you know. So first first thing that happens in the fight, Pedro's kicking Lance's knees. And uh, you can see all this on YouTube. It's uh, If you go to 150-pound uh, Brazilian black belt versus 250-pound uh, bodybuilder, it's got like 5 million views. Anyway, he's first th punch he throws, he breaks Lance's nose. And blood just splattered all over Pedro's gi. It looked like he just came out of a slaughterhouse or something. And then Lance took him down and they rolled around and uh, Pedro finally got him in an arm bar and uh, Lonnie Foster was the referee. He he became a UFC referee. Anyway, uh, I knew that Pedro was going to win, but I didn't know how he was going to win. I figured it would be an arm lock and it was, but he, when when he when he won, you know, we all lifted him up on our shoulders, you know, and I was just so amazed that, you know, this I had seen this movie Hard Times with Charles Bronson where they were fighting in a as, as guy in the, in the Depression area comes out of nowhere and he bets on himself to win these bare knuckle cage fights. And this is all just a movie. And I, when I watched it, I thought, man, that would be the most intense man-to-man, hand-to-hand competition there is. And here we are, 30 years, actually doing it for real here in Utah in this no-holes-barred fight with Pedro versus this guy who's 100 pounds bigger than him. And uh, it was like, I was like, this is, this is like going, we're in the age of the Roman gladiators again. And anyway, I just... You loved it. You I loved, loved it. it. I loved, and I just I knew, you know, after that match with Hicks and the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was the best standalone martial art there was. But uh, yeah, this was just proof. Uh, well, Mark, here you're obviously you're a student of Pedro. You've got the utmost belief in him. This radio thing goes down. Do you have a talk with Pedro about it, or do you just kind of? go on autopilot saying, nah, man, we're going to handle this. This is just, you know, a day in the office. Uh, it, it was it was between him and Pedro. I was there in Pedro's club. When Pedro, when this guy told Pedro that, I told uh, the whole state of Utah, he's talking to the entire state of Utah, and he's telling everybody in Utah that he could beat Pedro up because he's a little guy, and Pedro picks up the phone and calls K-Bear 101 and says, put me on the show. He puts him on the show and he says, you think you can beat me up? Let's let's fight. And what's he going to do? Back out in front of the entire state of Utah? And so seven in the morning at uh, Mike Stedham's gym, we, we, we were there. And man, the testosterone in that room was so intense. It was like women were growing beards. It was so... <laughs> Years before it was fashionable, they were growing beards. So, so uh, Mark, did Lance have like a, a large group of people with him? Um, not really. You know, I I he don't think. There. I don't. To tell you the truth, I don't. It was packed. The okay. I didn't know anybody except for the guys in Pedro's club. But the place was packed, and I don't know who all the people were. But Lance had people with him. I don't know how many. But the place was packed. All right. 
What happens on the radio afterward? I I don't know. Pedro would know better than I would. Yeah, but afterwards, it's like, you know, we, Lance, apparently, Lance Coach wrote a letter to the Black Belt magazine saying that unbeatable system is beatable. And and he said that uh, he, oh, Lance Bachelor throw Pedro sound like a rag doll, blah, 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 did this, did that. But they didn't know we had it recorded. So, Horio sent the video to the Black Belt magazine and sent a letter addressed to Black Belt magazine, Lance Bachelor, and uh, Mike Statham, saying that if you uh, confirm that the unbeatable system is beatable, you have to accept a rematch. So I tried to get a rematch. We tried to, we, we tried, and they they back up for a rematch. And that's the lens came to my my school, trained over there, and he saw that it might be not, not a good idea to have another rematch. Does your school blow up after this? This is a oh, phenomenal marketing tool. Yes. Right after that, I remember going to Miss Marlowe Gym. Do you remember back in the in the part of the way, Mark, the Miss Marlowe Gym? Yeah. Used to have only uh, carpet. And yes. people used to fight there. Dave Benetton used to be there. Remember, we tried to bring a Dan Severn over there. Uh, there was a, a lot of people used to go there to train. It was a it was pretty nice. But uh, anyway, they decided to not to do it, and uh, pretty much everything died down. Okay, no mats, if, if only if carpet. Could, yeah, <laughs> good for grappling. But if I could ask you, uh, Pedro, <laughs> uh, you mentioned Kazeka Muniz. He's a guy that a lot of people forget, but he's a uh, did a little. A lot of work as an ambassador uh, for jujitsu training and other. But isn't he like Venezuelan? I didn't realize his belt was from you. Why don't you tell us about him? I I think I met him once in Russia when he was fighting. Yes, Kazak is a character. It was a it was an eighteen years old boy arrived at my school, and a young kid. He came from Frank Kuchi school in the, in the East Coast. Went to Utah, trained with me for I want to say probably a couple years. No more there. And after that, he went back to Hickson School in Los Angeles. And after that, he went to Brazil. And he got his black belt, if I'm not mistaken, from Draculino. Oh, okay. Kazaka yeah. was a very gifted, unbelievable gifted individual. That kid could learn just like that, could fight. Anything he, he decided to do, he would learn it. He was a wild, wild guy. Unbelievable guy. I got so many stories about this guy that's this outrated R. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Give us one. Give us one. Because I met him. He just won. What I remember, what I remember about him was that he had at least 80 countries stamped in his passport. I mean, we were we were just looking at it. He was a world and all because of fighting and jujitsu. And he also had a little bit of a wrestling background. He was a Venezuelan American. You you tell it, Pedro. Tell him crazy. Yeah, after after he learned jiu-jitsu, he went to do wrestling. And he done very well wrestling. And I believe in, I'm not sure if it was in Cuba, in somewhere in Central America. He done very well. But the quick story about Kazaka is that uh, in, in 94, uh, right after this fight with Mr. Utah, we went to Lake Palm for a little vacation. So a friend of mine who owns a blind business in Utah, the blind man, he took uh, a jet ski. So when we arrived there in Lake Powell, beautiful environment, and uh, I got in the jet ski, Kazaka got behind me, 
And I drove the jet ski around in Kazakh. I just fell in love. And I mean, fell in love with the jet ski. He was so crazy, excited over here talking to me about Pedrinho, Pedrinho, let me do it, Pedrinho, let me do it, Pedrinho, let me try, let me try, let me try. So we switched part, we switched location. And Kazaka took this the steering wheel. I sit on the back. Well, that's the first time he ever sit in a jet ski. And I was a I was I knew how to do it before. I was a pretty gifted guy with speed. So I knew how to do it pretty quick. Kazaka decided to do the same thing that I was doing. So he just hit the gas and just starts flying. And, and I saw this boat coming out direction and Kazakh's going. Say, I saw this boat keep coming out direction. And I'm telling Kazakh, 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 we're soon have to jump because Kazakh will turn the steering wheel, but he, he takes the gas off. So the thing does not turn without gas. So I have to jump over Kazakh, grab the, the handlebar, hit the gas, and we pass about three feet from this boat. When we <laughs> circle around, around the boat and go around, it was a patrol boat with two police officers. <laughs> and they were so in shock. They like this. Uh, <laughs> you guys gonna get hurt. And Kazak, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. And Kazak takes off again. And I'm telling Kazak, slow down, Kazak, slow down. Pretty soon, Kazak was maybe 65 miles an hour. We catch a few waves and we just got projected to this to the space. We had one of the worst falls. Like it took us about 10 minutes to go back to the jet ski, swimming. Ooh. When we arrived back in jet ski, he climbed one side, I climbed the other side. He grabbed the handlebar, I put him in a choke, and I put him to sleep. <laughs> and I tossed him in the water. <laughs> he woke up in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you crazy bastard. You almost killed us. Man, are you crazy? And he's like, Pedrinho, don't tell nobody. Don't tell nobody. So I didn't say nothing. I'm so so this guy grabbed me. I didn't say nothing that happened for you know for the couple next day. I told later because he <laughs> wanted to be using the jet ski. So Kazak was doing motor south like a flip on the end of the trip. I saw Kazaka doing flips with the jet ski. Yeah. Crazy man. Yeah. Wow. What awesome. one of my absolute favorite Brazilians who doesn't get enough attention is a videographer named Paquetá. Paquetá. Would you mind telling everybody? I've talked about him in a few different episodes. Would you mind yeah. describing who he was, what he did, and how he seemed to get along with the Luda Libre guys, yourself? He got along with everybody. Yes, Paquetá was a very nice guy. He was the first guy that I ever thought that I've ever seen build a library. He used to record every tournament. Every tournament after IBJJF started, Paquetá had a camera and record every single match. And he built one of the most incredible library. And I, I believe Paquetá passed away, but I believe, I'm not sure who, if it's a son, somebody from Paquetá's family has the, got a hold of this library. Beautiful. How was he able to get along with rival gyms with no issue, though? Because both of them were comfortable with him being there. Yes. Paquetá was an older guy, very nice, very friendly, very laid back, easy going. So he just arrived with a very good demeanor. Everybody really likes him. He was a good guy. Very nice dude. Yeah, if you didn't like Paquetá, you have some problems. No. He was a good dude. I, I'll tell you a, a funny story. We were doing the first Abu Dhabi trials in Brazil. And I was running the trials with uh, Tetel. I was a judge, but I also had the video rights. And 
Pakatao comes in and sets up his videos. And I'm like, you know, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, I got surrounded by Sperry, Liborio, Carlson Gracie. And they all gave me that black belt face. Like, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> not, not to Paqueta. You had to let him tape them. <laughs> there it <Yeah>. went. <laughs> yep. Sperry's yeah, got that very good. serious black belt face, you know. Yeah, he built an incredible <laughs> library. Yeah, yeah. No, he's... He's a legend. Yes, it is. He was Custom Grace, a very good friend. Yeah. But the even the people that like Carlson was, you know, having issues with, like on the mat, even they had no problem with Paquetao being there. No. He, he, I like to describe him as you say fight library. He was more like the fight trader. Like if you needed video on somebody, he had it. And he was very fair with both people. He would give both copies, so they both had it. And it if he hadn't done it that way, one group would have disliked him, and he yeah. never had that issue. No, no, he and the, yeah, the group was was on the end. We all kind of come to good conclusion, come to good friend. But in the early days, when Grandmaster Ed was alive, and Marco Hu was in his prime, and you know, it was a, it was, a, it was a lot of uh, Marco Hu was, a, was a such incredible talent. And came from a big family. Marcus was, uh, I think, I believe one of the, the youngest of the brothers. One of his brothers was a very good friend of mine. His name was Zezé. And a super nice guy. Good fighter, too. You know, the guy liked to wrestle, grapple. Good guy. But Marco, who was, was in a different level, he was incredible. And Marcus, the one who kind of created a good... Uh, Marcus was a good dude. He's a good friend. Uh, all the people that that put a lot of words in Marcus, who was him, because Marcus is a laid back guy, man. Got a few girls, daughter. He's a good family man, laid back dude. Unbelievable talent. Can kick like a horse, like a mule. So, if you since you knew Marco, now I hate to go backwards, but since you knew Marco when you were young, and he is special. What yeah. kept you away from the Luda Livre world? And what, you know, with the draw of jiu-jitsu, is that strong? It was Hickson. Hickson and Elio. So I could not go to, uh, to Luta Livre. I've been to Luta Livre, guys. I've been there a uh, few times to grapple. few times I walked there. Uh, I, I used to grapple with Marco. I grappled with Marcos many times. Marco used to come to an academy in Corpo Quatro where Rogério Camões, that's the coach, for Anderson Silva, Vanderlei Silva, Rogério Camões, André Galvão. Rogério is incredible. He was a good friend of mine. We trained jiu-jitsu for many, many years together. He was a black belt in judo. And uh, he's the one who built Megaton. Megaton, yes, you know, yes. Mega Megaton, Megaton yeah. came under Rogério Camões. Okay. Why do you think uh, Marco Huas and Hickson never met in turn, on the mat? Well... Honestly, I think it was a lack of opportunity because the chance was there, the chance for them to meet each other. But it was, it was this mystic idea about, you know, Marcus getting so good, Hicks was getting so good, let's fight for money, fight for money. But uh, I remember training with Marcus at Copa Quatro. I remember rowing with Hickson. And I talked to Marcus about this when we were young. And Marcus was a very talented. And what my, I honestly... That's thing that I was was gonna hate it to see Marcos and Hickson fighting, and that's something that, in my personal opinion, would be horrible, because Marcos can fight like a he's a tough kid, he's a tough dude, 
no question about hands like a steel, kick like a mule. But Hickson was was on a different level on the grappling atmosphere, on the grappling level. So in my mind was this man, Marcus gonna probably kick Hickson a couple of times. He's gonna try to punch him a couple of times. Hickson's gonna get pissed as a hell. And when the guy go to the ground, when something go happen to the ground, this guy's gonna be try to kill each other there. And Hickson had a more ability. If you compare the groundwork for Hickson and groundwork with Marcus. It's not even uh, close. It's not even close. Yeah, but Marcus yeah. is good. He's very good. He knows exactly he knows how to do, but he's not the same level. If you look at Marcos' fights with Oleg Tektarov, his jiu-jitsu wasn't of the same level. You are correct. Mark, it's reminiscent of both you and your brother. You know, you're the guy that would pound just squares through circle holes, and your brother's the, the technician. It's almost as if, like, the yin and yang between the two, uh, they had never met. Mark, what was it like your first day over at, at Pedro at, at Pedro's school? My first day, um, I was just really happy that he allowed me to be his student. And I didn't ask for any favors or anything. I put on a white belt. I did everything he told me, just like he. I did everything everybody else did. There was nothing special about me. And I didn't do anything different. I was just another one of his students, which was all I wanted to be. And... Uh, yeah, then yeah, we we did that. One thing I do want to uh, I I don't remember the name of this guy. Who is that? Uh, after I got my blue belt, I went up against a black belt from Brazil. What was that guy's name? Fabio Santos. Right. And what happened during that that uh, workout with him? Yeah, well, Fabio was, you know, Fabio, back in the early days, Fabio had no idea. And me, myself, too, I kind of warned Fabio. I told him, Marco, hey, Fabio, this guy is a real deal, my friend. He's, he's, he's an incredible wrestler, and he's learning jiu-jitsu. He's learning submission. Don't, don't do it. I, I warned him, don't, don't train with Marco. Don't train with Mark Schultz. And, but uh, on the early days, you know, Fabio Santos, another, uh, you know, we just fought. We just um so he wants to test himself against uh, against Mark Schultz. And Mark, I think you, you caught Fabio the first time. And it was kind of a little, oh, I don't know this. I don't know that. I said, hey, let's start over again because it was a submission. Submission happened there. And I told him, let's not do it anymore. I stop right there. And, and he wants to do it again, right? And that happened again. And I told, okay, this is it. No more. No, that's it. It's done. His wife, yeah, was girlfriend at the time. That's still his wife. His wife, yeah. She started screaming. <laughs> it's just, it's jujitsu, you know? What are you going to do? It's, Back in the early days, man, that was wild. Pedro, was Mark's intensity an issue at the gym? And, and I, Mark, I mean that with all due respect. If you've got women and children and beginners on a mat with just like a wild animal, it could be very intimidating. Was it an issue at the gym? No, no. Mark, at the same time, he's a funny. What happened is Mark was very intense. But the, what happened is that the, most of the time, uh, Mark started to relax. You, you see, Mark's a very relaxed. He started relaxing, man. I don't, On the mat? Mark's yeah, because, relaxed? Dude, I, well, think about this. I remember I was telling Mark, say, Mark, you on top. You're going to be on top at any time that you want to. 
right? if you really want to do jiu-jitsu, you have to lay down on your back and do your guard. And Mark lay down on his back and did guard for a long time. It was hard for me to break that habit of wrestlers brainwash themselves to go belly down. It took me a while to break that that brainwash. Like I'm deprogramming myself <laughs> from a cult or something. <laughs> it is did. That, but is that something that felt good, Mark? Because I think, you know, that you like to learn, like the learning process of getting to elite. And then once you're there, you, you, you've you got nothing bored. to learn anymore. And then yeah, you get bored. That, that refreshment of learning something from the beginning. Is that is that something that played into it? Well, I, I just looked at it like it was another form of grappling, which it was. And I, I wrote my own jujitsu technique book and I studied it more than I studied anything else and I just made it an academic subject just like I did when I started wrestling I wrote my own wrestling technique book and I was just really lucky to have Pedro in Utah Provo Utah of all the places a Gracie black belt could have landed in America everybody goes to LA and then Pedro the only non-Gracie family member black belt Moves to Provo, Utah, of all places. I mean, what are the chances? And I mean, I just thank God he was there. I I really was. I think it was destined. I think it was God's plan, maybe. I don't know. It was. It was I was so mm -hmm. lucky. Well, so, Pedro, we let's, let's talk about the people on the mat. At that time, you had Greg Nelson, Sean Weaver, Frank Cucci, Eddie Camden, Todd Margolis. You had a pretty talented room. Well, the room was full of talents. And, and what happened is that because of my personality and because I'm a small person, I, I learned jujitsu in a very uh, awkward way. I have to learn jujitsu by being spanked. So imagine it was how, how it would be for myself to walk in every day in the school and I have to see Elio Gracie there as instructor and all his sons. Horion, Helson, Hickson, and myself as a 120-pound guy. You know, as a little kid. So I got spanked like a no tomorrow. I used to get tapped 50 times per day. 50 times. But I learned it. And I knew how to teach people the, the final aspect of jujitsu, the fine details. That's something that before we didn't share too much that. And when I moved to Utah, I was like, I got to share everything that I know. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to train myself. So I was teaching everybody. I was sharing every move. I was telling everybody, go train with other people and go train over here, go train over there because you're going to bring knowledge to us back here. That's always been my thought. And today, after after the study years, I think it was I was in the right path because I'm still on the mat. I'm still curious. I'm still learning. And look at, look at the talents around Today, I'm just a small little piece like this. I have black belts today. Like Mark, we met uh, uh, Rylan Lazares on, on the conference we did a couple weeks ago in, in, uh, in North yeah, Carolina. Just like a, a, a monk, a guy who's like a monk. He's like a, just like a, a just monk guy who came down. And this kid can train jiu-jitsu like a unbelievable. You know, a beautiful jiu-jitsu guy, practitioner, the guy who kind of... And the other thing that I noticed you, I know how to pick. I see values in everybody. Uh, I just see people, and I was like, you know, hey, uh, Mark has incredible talent. 
uh, you know, uh, Sean Weaver had incredible. Uh, all those guys that you mentioned, everyone have an honest one and see talent. I want to learn, man. I want, I'm curious. I want to see that. And I want to see the, the, I want to see them flourish. I want to see everybody flourish. And I think that's the difference between myself is because I was able to share moves with everybody. My nickname on the Gracie family was Papai Noel, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Yeah. I was living in Utah, Santa Claus, yeah. Yeah, well, because I was in Utah, and I give jujitsu for free. That's how everybody used to tell me. <laughs> well, Mark, we, we have to address this. So, in essence, we've got Chael Sonnen's story about how Mark Schultz got his black belt. Mark comes on our podcast, our first interview with him, and he talks about his version of how he got his black belt. Pedro, you're notoriously known for not somebody that moves people up the ladder very fast. You make people do their time to make sure it's just not something they're doing just to get an accomplishment and leave. You make sure people are dedicated. Would you bring us through your version of what took place with Mark Schultz and his black belt? Well, Mark, Mark trained with me for three years and he was up uh, back in the early days. Uh, the belt system was, uh, it was by the hours. We, I used to kind of track hours. And that way, I could separate between ability, physical ability. Somebody has incredible ability like Mark. But you got to see another little kid who didn't have enough ability at all. And I tried, to, I tried to bring more technical aspect instead of physical ability. So Mark went to the grinding for the early days. But Mark was a blue belt who could tap any black belt. You know, that's the, that's the fact, right? That's a that's, problem. That's, you know, but that's a fact. That's what it is. Remember, Today, I asked you one time what a black belt means, and you said it's not so much about the skill. It's more about how much time you spend with your instructor, how you are to your instructor, along with skill. It, yep. It's important. That is important, like that knowledge, profound knowledge. It's doing the work, finding the little things. And the only way you get that is with time. But, but, but Pedro, please continue. Yes. So the, the experience of like for, for Mark being 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 learning a mechanic and this so he got up to to, to, a, to a blue belt a high level blue belt was tapping black belts left and right I could never uh, yeah and he would he, trust me it'll happen and even every other guys and we talk about this was in the nineties my first black belt that I made was two thousand and two so it took me twelve years to make my first black belt. In that first black belt, I believe I named him. Was that Greg Nelson? Greg Nelson, the first black belt that I made. Okay. Yeah. And supposed to be Sean Weaver. Sean Weaver was your second black belt. He was supposed to be the first one. Oh. What happened? What happened that uh, Greg Nelson was diagnosed with some serious uh, illness. And... Uh, I went to see Greg, and Greg was taking so much medicine and so much stuff. His face was like this big. His leg was humongous. I went to visit him a couple of times. We did some seminars over there in his area. And I was like, oh, my gosh. We, nobody knew if Greg Nelson was going to make it. And Greg was pretty close to a black belt. So I went to Sean, and I told Sean, you would be my first black belt. But uh, we have uh, Greg Nelson might not make it. Do you mind if I, if I make him the first one? Like, like this, it can be remembered forever. And uh, Sean gave his face, Frank Cooch the man, the same way. And Sean Weaver ended up to pass away before, pass away. And, and Greg Nelson still, still good. But He's had right a couple now, other, 
a couple other health scares too since then. Yeah. A couple of? He's had a few other health issues since then where people had thought the same. Yeah. 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 Greg Nelson is unbelievable. Unbelievable. This guy was one of the most gifted martial arts guys that I've ever seen in my life. Greg Nelson. His ability to communicate and allow people to understand. Like you can be very smart, but if you can't communicate and explain to a person you know, what it is they need to do in an effective manner, it doesn't matter how smart you are. Greg has mm -hmm. got an ability to communicate. But let's, let's talk about Mark Schultz's black belt. How does he get that black belt? So what happened, that back at the time, I used to have a student that trained with me in Utah for mainly private class. He was a super nice guy, very talented. His name was Walt Bayless, great guy. And Walt uh, only took private class with me. Uh, we never, he never been in group class. Walt was a sambo at the time. And he could open the splits. He could jump backwards, could jump forward, could do things. But Walter, when he came to my house the first time and trained, I rode with Walt. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was a little, I was like a little pit bull as a kid, a younger. I was a little, yeah. no, I was young, small, but I was, I was no joke. I was, I used to, I, I knew what I was doing. And if you make a mistake, I'll, I got your butt. That's how it was. And Walter, I, I used to catch him a few times on the beginning when he trained in my house. And he asked me which belt he should be wearing. I said, well, if you want to start again in the system, you should wear a, a white belt, start over again, and you can climb up to the system. And uh, what he did, he always invited me for private class. So I have an agenda. Uh, uh, I have my agenda back in 1999, 91, and I have I know all my, my students that I used to treat. Walt Bayless took 11 hours of private class. And every hour, every class, we just sparred. We sparred the whole entire time. And on the end, I show a move here, I show a move there. But sometimes when I catch him, I show him another move here, another move there. And Walt was an incredible gift. Well, what Walt did, Mark was, a, was unbelievable. And Mark and Walt, they stopped being friends. And what happened that uh, Mark did a video with Walt, but Mark just want to see all the moves that Walt could do. So they put a camera in a chair and Mark allowed Walt to do to, to mount, to pass the guards, submit here, submit there. So it looked like Mark Schultz was getting beat. It was getting well, throw like, but actually Mark was trying to absorb the knowledge, see what's, what the guy can do. See. Good. Yeah. And after that, I'm not sure when was that, but Mark, uh, Walt Bayless go, and, and Mark at the time, I was already traveling a lot. I was already busy doing other things. And Mark was, was doing another uh, he was have a chance to open a school in another place. What happened at the uh, Walt Bayless? I uh, said, so no mistake, Walt gave Mark a black belt in the system. And of course, Mark just, you know, what can I say? Of, of course, a black belt is a black belt. So, and that's what happened. And he kept training. And I was trying to bring Walt, you know, to, 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 our, to our group. I was trying to kind of bring Walt. And Kitchman, he's a great guy. But he had some people behind him that like to create controversies. Yes. Okay. And that's exactly what happened. It was people behind him. Because Walter, personally, super nice guy, funny guy. Oh, you take a class from this guy, you're going to laugh your head off. He's, he's just a good dude. Friendly, knew the stuff. We tried to get Walt to fight in a UFC 
I want to say UFC three or four, if I'm not mistaken. We tried to get Mark uh, uh, Walt Bayless there, and on the end he didn't do it. The, Walt is just a nice guy. He was not a guy who wants to fight. He was a good dude. So that's basically what it is. And what happened? That I came to see uh, Mark many other times. So I gave Mark some videos, some DVDs, some some uh, stuff for him to study. And Mark started climbing up to the to the rank. And uh, well, we saw each other was I want to say probably six years ago, maybe in in a in in Oregon area. And Mark tested for his black belt, and he officially got his black belt in base jiu-jitsu after so, all those years. That's I've true. Learned learned that black belt. What an accomplishment. Good for you, Mark. You finally made it. <laughs> he earned it. Legit, legitimate black belt. Put the time in. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to jump ahead here, Mike, but uh, Pedro, you know – Black belt is a black belt for so long, and then eventually you you do graduate to to the red belt and and like the master level. Uh, I believe you were obviously at Hicks and Gracie's red belt ceremony, and he's you know a legend for the generation. Why don't you talk about that day and how that felt being you know being besides you know a legend there? Because I think obviously your red belt came a little bit after. Uh, actually, I'm the first person from the Gracie Academy to receive a coral belt besides the Gracie. Okay, so then, see, you have to correct me now, please. Take over. <laughs> yeah, I received my coral belt from from Hori, uh, from Helson's hands in November of 2007. And he gave me his belt on me. I was like, man, I, I don't have the time. And he said, you know what? It's not about the time that you put in, but look what you've done it. Look how, how you spread all over the world. You build, like, you know, I go to seminars. I see every time I see somebody wearing a Pedro Sari patch, I know those guys know the material. I know those guys are clean. They're the most respectful guys, the most talented guys. So anyway, he gave me a coral belt before my time. Because back in the time, IBDJF did not have the specific time frame for the belts. So I received a, a coral belt, seventh degree, in November 2007. But I didn't wear the belt until I talked to Hickson, Corio, until I talked to Elio. And I went to Brazil and I talked to Elio and Elio endorsed my coral belt. When he endorsed my coral belt, I put it on and I started using the coral belt. Uh, Hickson Gracie did a seminar in Tennessee and I, 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 I got my gi, I got the, my, my black belt, I got my coral belt, I put it inside the bag and I flew to Tennessee. When I arrived in Tennessee, it was just me and Hickson in the lock room. And I, I took I, I put the I took the coral belt off my bag. I said, Hickson, this belt here is awarded by your father. I want you to have it. So I gave it to him. And he put it on. And after that, he took it off, put it in his bag, and say, When I go back home, my I'm gonna ask my son to put it on. And that's exactly how Hickson got the coral belt. Uh, at that time. In the moment on, I was wearing coral belt shoes, so we all coral belts at that time. But what happened is, right after that, wow, three years later, Helson saw me in a seminar again and put a stripe on my back, uh, on, a, on, the, on the coral belt. So from seven degree, I went to eight degree. And I was like, oh, hold on a second. Hickson Grace eight degree. I, I cannot be eight degree. This is not, this is not right. And it's like, oh, Hickson's not teaching. Hickson's not on the mat. You on the mat every day. Say, ah, but I'm not going to do that. So I kind of tried to, I didn't know, offend Hell's shoe. How am I going to say, no, I don't want that? Yeah. No, I, 
I didn't have the courage to tell Helson. Helson's a tough dude. Yeah. Helson's yeah, something else. So I was like, they didn't have the courage to do that. So that's how IBJJF starts with the white, uh, with the coral belt that was red and white. You want to make sure that every eighth degree is red and white. Because Hickson's wearing red and black. I was wearing red and black. Helson wear red and black. Horion wear red and black. And IBJJF decided to come up with a red and white for eighth degree. Is they still today? Nice. Okay. Now, were you? Okay, you go ahead. Go I got one more. I I just wanted you. You started to mention a little bit about the jujitsu tradition. Or, you know, asking for permission and going to see your elders to take the belt and things. And I ran into that personally with you because uh, Hoyler Gracie uh, was looking to for a match in New Jersey, I believe, a, a jujitsu match. And I had a good brown belt that I was confident in. I didn't think he could win, but I knew he would be a great show. And, you know, a little bit of money for him and everything. So I put his name in, and it turns out it was Henry Matamoros, who's one of your students. Um, yep. He also uh, had some time under Jacare Cavalcante. But, you know, he was a pretty serious brown belt for the time. And he came to you to ask for permission to talk about that because I think it was complicated for him to fight Hoyler. It was very complicated. It was very awkward. Because I remember Hoyler came to my school to do a seminar in Sandy, in Utah. And Matamoros was, was one of the guys in the, on the seminar. Sure. <laughs> and when I when I looked when I look at Hoyle, Hoyle looked at me and said, Hey, I'm gonna fight this guy with I look at Matamoros and what what do you mean you're gonna fight Matamoros? <laughs> Harry Matamoros? And he said, yeah, yeah, but don't say anything, man. I got to do it. I got to do it. I, you know, we have this arranged. You got to do it. And I was like, man, I don't feel good about that. I don't like this at all. But it was no fist fight. It was, was, it was a fight. It was a grappling match, right? Yeah. It was just jiu-jitsu, yeah. With the gi. And even like that, I could not be in Mat Matamoros. If you recall, I was not in his corner. Right. Yeah. I could not do it that. And I sit down with Matamoros. Uh, wife at the time. Russian girl, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. Were you at you? Were you at UFC one? Yep. Would you mind describing that to our audience as a as somebody that was in the in the Gracie locker room the entire time? Well, UFC one. If you uh, when Hoist fought in UFC one, he was in my house for two weeks before the fight to get acclimated with the altitude. So he was in Utah. We used to go to uh, Park City, to, to jog in Park City. I used to grab in my house. Uh, we used to do all, all kinds of training there in my house. And uh, when I went to Colorado for the fight, it was it was wild. And because Hoyce was skinny kid, small. And Hoyce never been in fights. Well, he did some <laughs> of the Gracie challenges back in the day, though, correct? Yeah, but the, you know, if honestly, it was no, no, it was barely no fights. He never, he never punched somebody in the face. In really, yeah, well, all those was a good challenges where like they had to just grapple. You know, they they, yeah, they most of the time, guys could come in swinging. Hoist was not a fighter. Hoist was a Hoist is a super nice guy, big smile, good personality. Hoist was just a, a, a Hoist was a great kid. Who was a young kid? On, 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 he was not a fighter. Hicks was the fighter. 
Hickson had the spiky. Helson was the best one. Helson was a monster. Fighting-wise, Helson was the monster. So Hoist went there to fight because he was the most, looked like the most fragile, the skinny one, the most playful. But at the same time, Hoist has a big bones. You know, he has good technique. And he was able to survive against some big guys and put some good locks there. You know, Hoist did good uh, until Shamrock learned some jiu-jitsu and gave Hoist a hard time on the rematch. And uh, after the one, were you worried at UFC one? There wasn't a lot of organization, the high altitude. Hoist wasn't their best fighter. Were there were there concerns amongst the Gracie family in regards to you know them choosing him? No, no, because basically Hickson was the backup plan. Hickson said, "I will train Hoist, but if something goes wrong, you know, I want my chance here." And what happened that Hoist didn't lose the one, didn't lose the second one, didn't lose the third one, and Hickson got a chance to go to Japan. And at the time, Hickson was like, you know, everybody was broke back at the time. Yeah. Just remember that, uh, you know, <laughs> when I moved to America uh, on the garage time, we used to wait for Horio arriving with a station wagon full of fruits, you know, for us to eat. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Wow. It was a tough time. And, and uh, we used to have some guys, the Machado brothers, uh, they used to do like a delivery pizza. And, uh, we, you know, the Grace died. They don't eat that. So that's something that we, we have to try to pick and choose what to, to eat in the pizza. We used to be a very, you know, in the beginning was very, it was it was a major sacrifice that was done in the beginning. Everybody was broke. And Hickson had to support his family. He was doing private class at 20 bucks, an hour, 20 bucks for private class. Wow. Yeah, he was a... Uh... Eric Paulson was one of his early privates. You know, I remember. Yeah. I remember. Was Paulson, let, let me ask, was Paulson, how Hickson, was he helping you get introduced in Japan? Because Hickson fought in Japan while Hoyce fought here. He fought in Shudo or the Valley Tudo Japan shows, which are, are associated. How did that come about? Were you there with him? Eric Paulson was a, a major, major help. And I mean, major help. Eric was the guy who brought the most people talk about jiu-jitsu. Eric talked to about jiu-jitsu with everyone. He filled it up at Hickson School. A Pico he, was a Avenue. he was a bartender. Yeah. yeah. And he's a good dude. He's a good talker. I remember when he fought, when Eric Pauls fought uh, on those extreme combat and he almost fought against Hanzo on the final. Yep. He, he lost to Joe Womarker. Remember he lost to the big, big guy? Uh-huh. James like, Warren, like, the his head. Yeah. yeah. I was in, in, in uh, Eric Paulson's locker room and Lonnie Foster tried to cut his hair. Oh, really? We tried to cut his hair and he had some kind of contract with Hollywood to be some stuntman. Yeah, and he, he said it was part of his contract that he had to have the long hair for the part. Otherwise, he would have lost a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, I understand that he was a, a doing some stunt man, and he needs to have the the, the 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 hair. So what we did here, we we have like a Vaseline, so we kind of fill his hair with Vaseline and we braid it. The hair, but that dude when he found the hair, man, he didn't let go, man. Yeah. It's it, you, for, for those of you guys that are watching it at home. It's one of the most savage fights I have ever seen. It's very difficult to watch. It, you know, in a, in a barbaric sport, this is one of the worst things. To, because it, it's, so you're watching somebody get scalped. And Paulson 
refused to quit. He could not quit. He never quit. And that Vaseline was a very smart idea, but the way the hair was braided was done so well that it just fit perfectly in the palm of Waring's hand. He never let go, man. And and no. doesn't. I was in the back of the ring, talked to him, tried to bring him. I was I was telling him sit out. I, I was trying to sit out, try to go to the ground, because he was trying to swing punches, but he was just being dragged by his head. Yeah. If he couldn't sit down and use his legs, he had a chance maybe to slap like a triangle or slap some kind of arm bar. It was the only chance he had it. Yeah, because yeah. of the hair. Yeah. And the that, uh, a shameless a shameless plug for uh, a podcast. We did interview Eric Paulson, and he had his hair pulled. So much, he said, for weeks, his face hurt from being pulled up. So, yeah, yeah it's just crazy, man. Yeah. He's a tough man. Man, That guy's a tough guy. Very good instructor, incredible talent, and a guy who helped with jiu-jitsu the most. Uh, he was a top guy, a jiu-jitsu guy, by pushing people to the academy. Before we, we wrap up, I'd like to go through a couple of your instructors, people that you know, were the beginning guys. Maybe you can give a couple words on them. Obviously, we had talked about Greg Nelson and Sean Weaver. Uh, Frank Cucci is another one of your your beginning black belts. Yep. Frank was a very talented martial, martial arts practitioner, super smart guy, trained with me for many, many years, 20-plus years. And uh, he had a school in, in, uh, in Virginia Beach. He was an ex-Navy SEAL. He yeah. opened the, 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 SEAL, the team six. SEAL Team 6. Yep. And he opened the team there uh, to do jiu-jitsu. Uh, we have one of good friends. His name is Tim Samansky, who is an unbelievable ambassador for the SEALs. We, this guy is like a, America is safe with uh, Tim Samansky in, in this position. He's the admiral right now. And uh, he's in the West Coast, I believe. I just talked with uh, my friend Ricky Landell a couple weeks ago. And Ricky just got hired to do some work with the SEALs on the West Coast. So Frank Cucci was doing the same kind of work on the East Coast. And I used to go there pretty much every month. I went, that's how I met Todd Margolis. That's how I met Nakapong. Uh, that came from this 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 uh, this environment that Frank Cucci brought up there. Great guy, unbelievable talent, great American. Just a good father, good practitioner, good individual. Such a nice guy. What about Eddie Camden? Cabeção, <laughs> big head, mm-hmm. Eddie Kenda, inc- very great instructor, talent instructor. Eddie Kenda, anybody who goes to his school is going to learn the material, 100%. Tad Margolis. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I know. I'm, I'm bringing him up, though. Okay, best what? Todd Margolis' sister is my wife's best friend. Go figure out this. I moved to Virginia. My wife is driving a truck with Grace Jiu-Jitsu, Pedro Sawatin, and deliver my daughter, my little baby girl, to a daycare. And 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 Rachel, that's Todd's sister, oh, my dad is, my, my brother's a black belt. And when we find out, he was one of my black belts. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up being good friends, and uh, we spent Christmas, many Christmas together. Good, good guy. Wow, funny guy. But good guy, good good dude. Yeah, he uh, he he trained everywhere. He was at Team Quest, Lloyd Irving, Mario Sa- Yamasaki. He's a guy that's been around. He's he's a lifelong practitioner. And tough uh, guy. Mike, go ahead. 
Very tough Mike, guy. Mike Moses. Moses, yeah, Mike Moses. Come from Frank Cucci. Same thing. Mike is under Frank Cucci. I have a picture of my school with the first blue belt of the East Coast. And I believe Tim Samensky is there. Mike Moses there. Who else? Uh, oh, got a tons of Frank Cucci. And what about Jeff Coran? Jeff Coran. This is a good guy. This is one of the best. That kid, it is crazy. 100 plus no host bar fights. He is an underappreciated talent. Completely. He really is. Super he, talent. Yeah, if, if, if you want to learn about Jeff Coran and what he's made of, I suggest you watch the Mike Brown fight. Although he didn't win, he didn't have his hand raised at the end of it. The grit, fortitude, his never quit attitude. He almost stopped Mike with a minute left. I mean, it's, I, I think he's underappreciated in my he's opinion. Totally, and, and he did the most difficult fights. He got the most difficult fighters. Jeff was unbelievable guy. Since young kid, 18 years old, man, this kid is top-notch guy. It, uh, yeah, yeah. top-notch. Yeah, a lot of jealousy in regards to him, but it was because he was so much further than everybody else locally. Like, when everybody else was cutting their teeth, he had 25, 30 fights. Like, what you had to prove, he didn't. So it was just, there was levels, and he understood his placement within the sport because of the time he put in. Another person... Um, uh, Felipe Costa. We'd be foolish not to mention him. One of the most beautiful jiu-jitsu you're going to see. It. Technician. The magic. Carlos Machado. Just like Jean-Jacques Machado. Jean-Jacques? Yes, of course. Carlos Machado, it is the finesse. It is the, the, the beautiful. Beethoven. The guy can, can move like a feather. Uh, great, great guy. Is the all the Machados, the whole family is incredible. But Carlinos, the son of Kim, uh, Jean Jacques, they're the best. Roger, they are good. Higa, they are Higa's a monster. He's a nightmare. They are good. But Carlinos, technician. Were, were you uh, M series Ishmael Bentley? <clears throat> Ishmael, great guy from uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota, super, super talent under Greg Nelson. Beautiful jiu-jitsu, too. This guy is brilliant. Brilliant mind. He, he's so smart in, in his ability to communicate and the way he holds himself, it's like he, he makes you level up as a person just being around him. Yeah. Great yeah. guy. You know, one thing... Go ahead, Paul. Pedro. So one thing that I, I, I kind of... Uh, after all those years that I've been on the mat... And, and being exposed to other people, to other styles, to other, you know, I, I'm a very open mind about everything. I learn everything, every move I want to know. I want to see, I'm curious. So I still love Jiu-Jitsu, I still love it. But I got to be honest, that one thing is that uh, is, is people who, that do Jiu-Jitsu. And the other thing, there are people that understand Jiu-Jitsu. I believe that our group of guys, the people who train with this kind of atmosphere that we created, you start to understand jiu-jitsu differently. You can ask Mark, you can ask anybody who trains jiu-jitsu in our, in our group. We, share, we, we learn basics, we learn foundation, we sharp those moves, and we keep the open mind. So we keep, we understand jiu-jitsu early. I think that's the thing that we have differently from any other place, that we don't force guys to compete, we don't force guys to be tough, we don't force guys to lift weights, to get in shape. 
we force guys to understand the mechanic. When you understand mechanic, you're going to understand mechanic not just for yourself, but what this guy can do against me. What he, what he can do on his shoes. If you're always in his shoes, how are you supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be reacting right now? When you understand that people don't know, don't have the understanding, you can catch the guy every time. You, you, you can escape. You can do moves every time. I think that's the biggest difference between in our group of guys. Well, and, and I've got one final question, but like your gi placement is different than everybody else. I watched a couple of your videos and you kind of tuck your gi in reverse as regards to everybody else. Why is that? Well, it's, that's just habit. It's pure habit. Nobody ever told me how to put, put my gi on. Nobody ever told me how to tighten my belt. I just, by habit. So what happened is, okay. on the early days, uh, Grandmaster Ellie used to fold the gi that side too. And uh, once, I, sometimes I see pictures. Another day I saw a picture. I said, oh, this picture must, must be backwards. Actually, no, it was a normal picture. You, you look at your pictures, you're like, everybody, wait a minute, his uniform's off. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I go to another picture. I'm like, why is I, I, every single picture it's different than everybody else i know well i tried to fix that what i did five years ago i decided to to go back and i said mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna use my gear for this side the other side and the reason i'm doing that because somebody told me that in japan on the early days when a samurai pass that's when they fold the gear the other side oh and the reason that you fold the gear right and the left over is because people have to take the, you know, like a sword, when you have to take the sword out. It makes sense. So you are, most of people are right hand. So they take the sword out. Well, I never use sword. I don't use sticks. I don't even, nobody ever told me nothing this. Mm -hmm. So, but what happened is I saw that a lot of people was wearing the geese the other way too. So I didn't want to be an influence, nobody to do nothing wrong. So I decided to go back again and fold my geese <laughs> the way how everybody does. And I told my wife, say, hey, when I'm dead, you can fold the other way. Got <laughs> you. Not, not an easy habit. And when people ask me, and Pedro, obviously we've never met, but when they ask like, what type of human being Pedro Sauer is, I always like to try to give uh, the story about your former student, Steve Hanna. Um, it's not widely known, but you know, in a jiu-jitsu circles, people certainly do. Would you mind expanding on who Steve was and... and um, you know, what happened with him and yourself? Yeah, Steve Hanna was a wonderful individual. He was a brain, he was some. He was a doctor. I don't know exactly what field he was there, but maybe he was a brain, something about, can be brain doctor, Steve? Yeah, like a, yes. Yeah. Surgeon. A surgeon, he was a surgeon. And Steve used to train with me, he, he trained with Hickson before. Actually, Steve, he started with Hickson. Then he came to Utah, started training with me, and, uh, when he got his black belt, he told me that he has some, some brain cancer, that he's not going to make it. Just like that. I said, well, Steve. And Steve looked just like a, what the guy's name from CNN? Uh, Anderson Cooper. Okay. Right? Steve Anderson. It's just like Anderson Cooper. I have a picture of him, just Anderson Cooper. People think that's Anderson Cooper, but that's Steve Hanna. Great, great guy. Uh, unbelievable. Super bright. A guy who understood jiu-jitsu, Steve Hanna, understood jiu-jitsu early. Um, Steve was given a, uh, a black belt prior to his passing when um, 
they knew the time was near and he came into the gym with you. Yep. How emotional was that for you as a teacher? That was very emotional because we spar, we train. And, uh, you know, Steve was, uh, you know, he was ready. Uh, you know, he was not 100% uh, out there, but he was re- still moving. He was training till the last days. Wow. Yep. And he got his black belt. I got a, so many black belts that, that passed. You know, we had a, just passed right now, Keith Owen, uh, one of the most incredible, super nice guy. I just went for his grand opening uh, last weekend. This past weekend, I was in Meridian, Meridian, Idaho, to do a grand opening. Wow. And, and, and Keith Owen has a beautiful family. Three kids, beautiful, unbelievable wife that runs the show, Shalane, and the kids are unbelievable. Uh, just top-notch, guys. Anybody who's in Idaho area, man, go visit one of the most beautiful schools i ever seen in my life. Mark, I'm going to hand the, uh, this off to you if you want to close out. Well, I just want... <clears throat> One thing I was hoping you guys would talk about was what it was really like, the intensity of what life was like for guys like me and Pedro when the the first uh, UFC came to America and they promoted it as no holds barred. Well, that's a great promotional tactic, but there really were two rules, no eye gouging, no biting, but still it was so intense. And we really didn't know what was going to happen. Who was going to be fighting? How are they going to fight? What's going to happen? We didn't really know. And a lot of people like in Utah, when me and Pedro were there, would come out of the woodwork and they would disrespect jujitsu and me and Pedro would go over to their club and, basically ruin their club. <laughs> we, like a dojo like, store. You know, people would come over to Pedro's house and they would they challenge him on the doorstep and Are you serious? Attack, and attack him in his house and they'd be rolling around fighting in Pedro's house. Yep. Are you kidding me? I didn't me? spoke English at all. My English was zero. It's crazy. Yeah, I was going to ask that because Mark, you, you know, a lot of people here, it's like, oh, you know, they walk into the gym. It's like, oh, Mark Schultz, gold medalist. Like, yeah, I got, you know, you, you attract these morons that want to test themselves. You know what I mean? I think yeah, Pedro's they, probably they the same exact way, you know? Yeah, because they can't lose. It's like if I tap them in 10 seconds, they go home. It took Mark Schultz 10 seconds to tap me. Yeah. You know? I, didn't, yeah. I didn't get tapped in nine. It took him all the way to 10, you know, something like that. They can't lose against me or Pedro. That's why yeah. they're constantly challenging us. Even if I'm yeah. 62 years old, they're like, it doesn't matter to them. It, anything, a win's a win over anybody with a name, you know. So anyway, uh, I just don't think people understood this the level of intensity when the first UFCs came out and, you know, people were fighting in the hotels, like competitors that were going to fight in the UFC were fighting each other in the hotels, you know, Tank Abbott. And, uh, you know, just it was it was like it was like chaos reigned in America for for quite a while. Yeah, it was hard. gladiators time. <laughs> there was some gladiators. Huh? That's amazing. When Mark said about people came to my house and 
Hoyu put like a, a an advertising on the cover of a Black Belt magazine. I want to say October of '91, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, offering a hundred thousand dollars whoever could beat a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And I was there in Utah by myself. So those people used to knock on my door in my oh, house. My family no. was over there. Yep. And I, I didn't spoke English, so I had to say, Horio, I got a guy over here. Let me talk to him, Pedrinho. So I gave the phone to Horio, and Horio negotiated for him. Say, Pedrinho, go ahead, take the guy to the mat. There's no money involved. Just put a boxing gloves on the guy. Wow. So essentially that ad signed you up for a whole bunch of fights that you uh, were unaware of. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't <laughs> go to the academy without my boxing gloves. I have to bring boxing gloves because I never knew who's going to be there. And Mark, do you remember? We did a lot of boxing. Uh, we used to put boxing gloves and people have to take down. Do you remember those trains, Mark? How yeah. it used to be? Things were getting so intense. People were getting so violent. Pedro started bringing a knife to the club. <laughs> you remember? Dude, we, we, it was crazy. We never. Mark one time shows up and tell me that is a is a guy who wants to fight him. His name is Jerry Levitt. Like a, a dude. Like I say, Mark, he doesn't want to fight you at all. The guy's human. Come on, Mark. He's crazy. And he came to the school, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pedro intercepted him and tapped him about six times. And after that, he didn't want to fight. But yeah, enough to be Mark's good friend. Eh? And you guys have been partner for a long time. We're friends now, yeah. Good guy, Jerry Levitt. Unbelievable talent, too. Has a it was everybody with had a big mouth. They're always like saying, Hey, Mark, this guy over here wants to fight you. They never want to fight me. It's always some other guy. They can't do it themselves, so they always have to put somebody else in front. That was true. Pedro, with your connection to the Gracie family, obviously the Sheik, it always it always surprised me that Mark never participated in ADCC. Why do you think he never got the invite? Well, I'm not sure about the, the because I think the ADCC when it started happening, I'm not sure if Mark, did you have any kind of operation? Something happened, if I know yeah, my, my I herniated my back. Okay. Yeah. I think it was something like that. Mark had a, some because Mark, Mark, if you if you go to any place like this, I just ADCC, or you you clean the house. He'll be a OFC champ like a, in a minute. Clean the house. At the time, he, he was the first guy who who this guy walked in the octagon with with one not even one day warning. It was a night time when we decided mm -hmm. to fight. Mark's on a fight. And, and he yeah, Gary Goodrich at the time was. Uh you know, top three in the world in many people's eyes. And he huge. Was big huge. Huge. And he was he was mean too. He was fast. Yeah. But I remember seeing with Mark, me and Mark was sitting down, me, Mark and Dave Benetton. And I I kind of told Mark, oh Mark, I bet they can beat this guy. <laughs> and Mark looked at me, you crazy. I said, you can do that you and Mark said, Pedro, go ahead and help me to negotiate our fight. And Mark went to the room. I went to the guy Art Davy and Bob Myrage. I say, sir, would like to have an Olympic gold medal in your show. It's going to cost you $100,000. <laughs> and the guy, his eyes like this big. And they could not negotiate the deal of there. But they call about 2 o'clock in the morning to find to the final agreement. And that's what Mark accepted, 2 o'clock in the morning. And he fought the same day at 6. Wow. Wow. 
Well, Mr. Sauer, we're almost at the two hour mark. Uh, Mark Schultz told us, Mark and I, we, we text a lot. And he's like, no, you guys got to get, you know, Pedro on. That's my yeah. guy. That's my Love guy. Greatly, greatly appreciated. I mean, it's there's no doubt why you've got so many affiliate schools. I think you're 300 plus schools just just by the way you carry yourself. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, yeah, appreciate. Thank you very much. Thank for uh, Mike. Appreciate thanks for everything you do, Mark amigo. Always a pleasure to be with you, amigo. You gotta keep sharing your knowledge, Mark. Your your knowledge. Yes. Let's keep sharing, brother. You have way too much knowledge. So yeah. Mark now is our guest. Every time we do a camp, every time we do some kind of conference, I want to mark Schultz there as a guest. So yeah. count on you, my friend. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We have been in the presence of grappling, Greatness. wrestling, jujitsu royalty. Thank you very much. Yep, absolutely. Greatness. Cha-ching, Mike. We got Pedro Sauer in the books, and I think uh, history has been served. Yes. I, you know, it's a little self-serving on my end. I'm a pretty big Mark Schultz fan. I, you know, make no apologies for that whatsoever. We did an interview with Mark. We did an interview with Mark about his brother. We interviewed Ron Tripp, who happened to be his assistant wrestling coach, also defeated Dixon Gracie and Sambo. Now we got Mark with his teacher. Um, you know, the old school guys used to always mention Schultz, even though he had like one fight in the UFC and he was an Olympic wrestler. Rogan brings up Schultz a lot. And <clears throat> I really wasn't familiar with his wrestling acumen until I did my research on him. Like I knew who he was. Maybe saw a match or two, but once I really dug in, I got it. Like the dude's an absolute just Viking. And I think the people that he might respect in regards to combat sports, wrestling, MMA, jiu-jitsu, you probably count them on one hand. So when somebody I admire says, this is somebody that he admires, it's guaranteed to be something special. Now, Miguel, why don't you tell everybody how we got the interview? Yeah, you know, I mean, Pedro Sauer and Mark sat in together because, you know, we, you know, went through Mark to get to get to Pedro. <laughs> kind of well, Mark thing. actually presented it to us. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, like I said, a feather in our cap. I don't think it's ever been done. Not, you know, two guys of that level in two different sports. Um, kind of like, you know, having like a 60s style hippie, you know, Love fest because it, it wasn't confrontational at all with them, you know. Mark added stories because he knew stuff, you know, from being there that we didn't know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Ron Tripp thing. We didn't get to talk to Pedro about the day Rick Hickson lost, you know, um, and a few things like that. Now, you know, we need Pedro back for another two hours. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You. He, he's done interviews with, with other people. BJJ fanatics. Um, PJJ Connects does a phenomenal job. I, I try not to listen to other interviews, but I know he's been interviewed there. They're also a very established jiu-jitsu forum. If you're in a jiu-jitsu, guys, and you're here, I guarantee you've already listened to any some stuff over there. But we're going about it a little different than most people. We're, we're just we're just grabbing history and just latching on. And, I mean, Pedro Sauer, in regards to the Midwest, Miguel, your buddy, uh, Henry Matamoros, we talked about him. Jeff Coran, Greg Nelson, Ishmael Bentley. Like, there's his influence here on the Midwest scene of mixed martial arts is just, it's incredible. Like, it really is. The guy is somebody special. 
Yep, I hope we captured that. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Give us a like, subscribe. Let's give it the plugs. Um, we do get the plugs. Your mom to like and subscribe. You know, steal <laughs> your parents' phones. I mean, everything. Whatever right. it takes. So my guy Crowbar from the Underground Forum, MixedMartialArts.com. Go to the Underground Forum if you're looking for super, super jaded individuals in regards to posting. That is the place to go. Um, John Morgan is supposed to be the captain of the ship, but he doesn't really do much over there. Hong Kong Fui does all the heavy lifting. Anyway, so John Rambo John Jay is a poster over there. Don't know his real name. Um, tested our Reddit theory. And he made a thread about our Mark Kerr video where he said, dude, there was like a couple hundred comments. There was 30,000 views. It was spiraling to be a hot topic and really getting out there. And then I got a, uh, a strike from the community saying I violated their rules. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to blame MMA Weekly or some of their, you know, some of the moderators from Reddit from those boards also work there. I'm not going to draw that conclusion in regards to it. Even though I posted some stuff over there and a few days later, articles came out in regards to the same subject. But, ladies and gentlemen, go get your Reddit Go get your Reddit accounts banned by posting our stuff over there. Please. I'm already in the box. I can't post over there anymore. So if you guys could do it, it'd be greatly appreciated. We get a ton of views from there. It's just unfortunate we're not allowed to, to put our stuff over there. Yeah, this Pedro Sauer interview will fit perfectly at the backslash BJJ form there in Reddit. So <laughs> stick it in there if you can for us. Right. So anyway, Pedro Sauer. Phenomenal human books. being, man. That's that's a win. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.